Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. And for those of you that are very tuned in to our show, you notice that I did not put an episode number at the beginning of this. <gasps> That's true. I didn't even notice that. My co-host didn't even notice. I didn't. It's because we're married. We don't notice anything. No. God, no. Mm-mm. We are starting a new series. It's going to be a monthly series. So I hope you're taking notes. So I'm going to explain a little bit about what this series is about. Please do. Okay. So while doing research for numerous cases, I kept coming across this book and this incredible book, and it was called Till Death Do Us Part. Oh, yeah. So that kind of just popped out at you. Yeah. And even the till was spelled like how we spell it. Oh, thank God. Which is Old English, which is T-I-L-L. And we consider ourselves Old English. Okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So it's called Till Death Do Us Part. Love, Marriage, and the Mind of the Killer Spouse. Oh, boy. Written by Dr. Robbie Ludwig and Matt Birkbeck. Cool. This was written all the way back in 2007. I know that doesn't sound too long ago, but that was a really long time ago. But while I was reading it, I kept thinking, this still holds up. We can still talk about this today. How many years ago was 2007, Daniel? Oh, Jesus. Math genius to my right. Six, 16 years ago? 16 years ago. But I feel like this book still holds up. We were only one year old when this book was written. (laughs) As a marriage. As a marriage, we were only one year old. Yes. Dang. God. We've been married too long. So we are all led to wonder how seemingly normal people manage to kill or attempt to kill their spouse or significant other, right? For sure, yeah. That is always the biggest question is how did it go from a loving married or partner type relationship to all of a sudden you want to kill this person? Well, because we're trying to insert logic. So we're saying, what the hell were they thinking? Why did they think they could get away with it? Why would they do that? Didn't they know if they did that, they would get caught or they would go to prison or... They wouldn't be successful at it. So, yeah, we're always wondering. But murder doesn't have logic. No, because we're not in the murdering mindset yet to where we would think about or maybe not think about trying to off each other. Or the consequences that come with murdering a spouse or significant other. Someone who is thinking wisely and logically, first of all, wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But if they were, then... I guess you could say that it's premeditated, but I mean, they'd actually put some thought through it. Right. So what drives people to do that? It seems to be the question, especially for me. Well, yeah, like, because- Why the hell would he do that? Why would she do that? What were they thinking? We joke about how we would kill each other, but it's really just a joke. Sure. Yeah. I think all healthy marriages, they talk about how to murder one another. Yeah, they fantasize a little bit, I guess. <laughs> just, you know? a, just a wee bit. Like, ah, that's too much work. For yeah, you. but it's not like we're ever going to follow through with it. Probably not. No, 
I'm not going to actually kill you. Do you know how much work that would take to kill you? I can't even really get over COVID. That's true. Let alone murder you. There's enough normal stuff that'll kill us. We don't need to be attempting to add to it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. In this book, Dr. Ludwig, who is a world-renowned psychotherapist and then award-winning investigative journalist, Matt Birkbeck, tell us about the 10 killer personality types and they define them in detail. So do you think us as well as listeners are going to hear this and start psychoanalyzing their friends and family. Absolutely. And and each other, because I know I sure as hell will. Yeah. Holy crap. I know someone just like that. Yes. What I thought would be fun to do is once a month have an episode dedicated to a type of personality that has murdered a significant other based on this book. Oh, it's a fantastic idea. I read the chapter, and actually, Daniel read the chapter, too, so he's well-versed in what we are about to talk about. I don't remember it, because I don't it, remember Daniel. what we did yesterday, but <laughs> I, will, I will, you know, it'll come back to me. I think okay. it's fine. I'll, I'll do my best to BS my way through it. And the book gives examples of marriages or relationships that have ended in murder based yeah. on the personalities of the spouse or significant other who murdered their partner. Gotcha. Okay. And actually, some of their example relationships or murders Mm -hmm. are ones we've already covered. Oh, well, that'll make it easier for us. So those ones, I'm going to give you a little recap of what we've already done and then tell you where you can find that episode and go listen to it. There you go. Daniel. Yes, Melissa. Did you know that on average, six people are murdered in the United States each day by a spouse or intimate partner? Is it that high? Yes. (laughs) Holy crap. Every day? And it's getting higher. Yes. Dang. And that over 2,700 people are physically assaulted by a spouse, boyfriend, or girlfriend daily. Now that I can believe. I can believe that. But But actually murdered. That's crazy. And this leaves most people asking and trying to understand why one spouse would kill another. As opposed to, like we say, like, just leave them. Just get a divorce. Just leave. Just walk out. Try it again later with somebody else or never again, but don't kill (laughs) them. Our very first killer personality type is the betrayal abandonment killer. Ooh, that's rough on people. Acts of violence done by these killers are frequently referred to as crimes of passion. Oh, sure. Okay. A crime of passion is simply a combination of rage and extreme emotion. And the act usually occurs in the heat of the moment. It is not premeditated. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. The killer does not weigh the consequences of their actions. They are unaware of the impact of their actions and their ability to think clearly is suspended. So it's just a blind action. Yes, And these are not your typical murderers. These are not anybody that is having that desire to murder somebody. This is just something that happens. Yeah. They kind of just snap and do it. Yeah. These murders committed against their spouse or intimate partner are not premeditated and are not encouraged by monetary gain. They are driven by a broken heart, unbearable betrayal, and separation anxiety. The trigger is either learning about an affair and or the end of a relationship. 
Mm. where that specific person did not want to end that relationship. And then we have jealousy. Jealousy seems to be the major component when it comes to the betrayal abandonment killer. Okay. Jealousy of a rival, whether real or imagined. And jealousy looks different between men and women. The emotional reaction to jealousy with men make them more naturally inclined to be jealous if their partner is involved in sexual infidelity, whereas women are more inclined to be jealous over their partner's emotional infidelity. That makes sense. Men tie love to sex. Sure. And women tie emotion and intimacy. With love. With love. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. I know. Men assume that women show their love for another partner by having sex. Mm -hmm. But women tend to believe that men can have sex without being emotionally in love with the other partner. So sexual infidelity does not necessarily mean that the man they love is in love with the person they just had sex with. Okay, so I have a question. Okay. So is that why where men tend to succeed in convincing their significant other that an act of infidelity didn't mean anything. It was just sex. Yes. And she still will stay with him. Yes. So you can be like, I love you. This had nothing to do with love. It was just, and it could, it may or may not, but, and because she wants to believe that's true, that there was no emotion. It was just sex. She's like, oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I forgive you. Yes, and men tend to try to turn it back onto their partner where they're saying, well, if only you would have had sex with me or I wouldn't have had to go out and find it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or pay for it. They yeah, turn it back onto their spouse. Yeah. And then so so disgusting. if a man catches, let's say, his wife sleeping with another man, he assumes – that because she did that, she no longer loves him. Right. Because for him, sex is love. Yes. And gotcha. so more times than not, those relationships end up in they end a break. Yeah, in, in a breaking up. Interesting. So women- We can even see that in friends or yeah, acquaintances. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, we've been married so long that we actually have friends and acquaintances who have gone through these same experiences. And I have a lot of friends who have stayed, women who have stayed in their marriages Mm -hmm. and have almost blamed themselves for it. And then we hear if a woman has cheated on her husband, those marriages end. There's not even a thought about it. Like they're just over. So if I found out you were cheating on me with some other dude, Mm -hmm. it would be over. Absolutely. I wouldn't forgive you. No. I wouldn't. I mean, because to me, it's already too late. No, but I would probably already be with the other person anyways. Right. I already had a backup. Right. You've already been planning this out. Absolutely. Women have an exit strategy 100%. So I would, well, of course now, I would realize that and go, well, it's definitely over. Even if you said, oh, no, I still want to be with you. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, no way. I don't believe you. But then I also have never experienced a betrayal of this extent from you. Yeah. So I don't honestly know how I re- would react, but right now sitting here, it would be over. No Even questions first, asked. First time. Yeah, no questions asked. Mm, I'd be done. Yeah. But I also know that I'm sexy 
and I'm smart and I'm funny and I could do very well out there. <laughs> see, anybody see, you're already defensive and starting to think. I am. I'm already getting up. pissed. I haven't. E- <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even said anything yet. I just said, yeah, it would be over. But I know. I know. I'm already mad. So here we go. That's funny. To women, it's more of the act of leaving that brings on the jealousy. Oh, okay. The theme song for these killers is, if I can't have you, then nobody can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the book, Till Death to Us Part, it gives us two examples of the betrayal abandonment killers. And the first one is one that we covered way back when, all the way to episode three. Oh, wow. Which was David and Clara Harris. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. The uh, dentists. The dent. You remember. Yeah. I'm proud yeah, of this you. One, this one was um, interesting because normally you think of only men are going to do something kind of aggressive and horrific. Well, back then you thought that. Yeah. Because this was the third story no, that I, I ever told yeah. you. Yeah. Right. And so, especially when there doesn't seem to be anything wrong. On the outside. On the outside. Yes. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who maybe decided not to listen to our earlier episodes, which we totally understand. Yeah. Or maybe just forgot, like I assumed Daniel had forgotten. I'll give you a little Cliff's Notes version of this episode. But I really think you should go back and listen to it because we definitely go way more into detail than I'm about to tell you. Okay. And it's yeah. a fascinating case, so I would go listen to it again. Yeah. And just remember, we were very, very new at this. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> just a pair of budding virgins. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> To doing this. That's what I yes. meant. Yeah. We were virgin-esque. Sure. In July of 2002 in Houston, Texas, 44-year-old Clara Harris killed her husband of 10 years by running over him with her silver Mercedes. Not once, but three times. And it was caught on video by the private investigator that she had hired to follow her cheating husband. Yep. Why not? Up until Clara found out about David's wandering weenus, their marriage seemed absolutely perfect. You said weenus. I know. People like it. But on the outside, and probably if we had social media back then, via social media, their marriage was that of perfection. David and Clara met in dental school, and there was an immediate attraction. Clara was gorgeous a former beauty queen, originally from Colombia. That's right. I forgot about that. Clara's father had died when she was only six years old. Hmm. And Clara came to the United States with a dream to make it. And she did. Now, Clara had originally been a dentist in Colombia. So she was also successful in her native country. But she came to America because that was always her dream. Sure. And that's always what her father wanted. Yeah. So she came to America and she had to go back into dental school. And then that's where she met David. Man, that takes some discipline. Oh, huh? yes. You get here to the to the promised land. 
From Colombia. Right. From uh and have to start all over. Pablo Escobar land and you come here and you gotta go back to school. Good lord. After she and David were married on Valentine's Day. Aww. After dating for over a year, they opened a dental practice together. Now Clara was the dentist and David was the orthodontist. That's right. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I forgot about that. The couple spent the next few years growing their practice and their hard work began paying off. To round out their perfect family, Clara gave birth to twin boys. And David had a younger daughter from his previous marriage. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So he was divorced from yeah. before. Everything was picture perfect, the all-American dream. Until a woman by the name of Gail Bridges interviewed for a job at the Harris practice. Gail was a divorced mother of two and very sexy. That helps. She had the big boobs, the tiny waist. She would do the whole bend over thing. Sure. And show off her goods to David. She very much knew what she wanted and she wanted David. And this girl went after it. And she was she pretty? I don't remember. She was really pretty. She was pretty. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, she was really pretty. Because remember, I did a factoid a long time ago. I don't remember when. And number one, most important thing guys look for in women is a face. Right. Before the boobs and butt and all that stuff. Yes. He was into her face and then whatever was down below her face. All the stuff it was attached to. Gotcha. Okay. It wasn't long before the two were just going at it whenever they could. They were like rabbits. And this was constantly. And this was what? So he would have been 42 ish? Yeah, 43. Okay. So my age. Your age. Wow, man. Dang. Be like me starting now with a fresh woman on the side. Lucky you, sir. Well, I mean, think about it though. He's an orthodontist, (laughs) he's not like mixing cement like I am, you know? Or or yeah, like gosh. I don't know, hand digging ditches like I do. So <laughs> his I can, hands aren't callous right, like yours are. Right. So she's like, ooh. Right. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and he probably has really nice teeth. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and I only have like three. So <laughs> I can see where he would be able to pull this off, whereas I could not. No, you couldn't. No. You're very unattractive. Yeah. And then I still got like cement, <laughs> you know, the cement on my jeans and stuff. So yeah. Clara was told of the affair by another co-worker. She confronted David, and he finally admitted to it. David agreeing to end the affair and to fire Gail. Do you remember this part? Where David and Clara went out to dinner, and he wrote down all the amazing attributes that Gail had and compared those to Clara's frumpiness. Okay, all right. Note to self. Do you remember this? Yes. Note okay. to self and everyone else. Don't go out to dinner and do that. No. Don't do it ever. No. Because the last thing your wife wants to hear is why you're sleeping with some other chick and why she's better than her. Yes. Gail had an athletic build, like a cheerleader. Yeah. That was one of them. Ooh. Another one was she had big old fake titties. Ooh, nice. Okay. And the third one was is that she would have sex with David Three times a day. But we have to remember right. they're still well, dating. Right. This well, is kinda, dating sex. I, this I can, isn't married sex. Yeah, but I can kind of see why he bailed. <laughs> because, you know, I mean. 
Uh, oh, nice cars. Boy. Nice cars, okay, but yeah, it smells new for a while. Yeah, but I'd get over. And that. And then you get chips and soda on the carpet, and it just sours. A new car sours <laughs> very I lo- quickly. I-, I love chips and guacamole. <laughs> That's why I'm never going to be fit. <laughs> Clara decided that she was going to change for David. She lost weight. That's right. She lightened her hair. Yeah. She was trying to become a blonde. Bought all new sexy clothes. And she started having sex with David multiple times a day. Okay. Is he really fit? Does he have a lot of energy? Like how's... Okay. I think so. And I think that's when the little blue pill had first come out too. That's true. He could probably prescribe himself stuff. Absolutely. He could. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you got like to have like a heart attack. But Clara still didn't trust David. I'm so surprised. And that's where the private investigator comes in. Oh, boy. Clara hired one to follow David. If you have to hire a private investigator to follow your husband, it's over. Yeah, you already have your answer. Yeah. It was the private investigator that called Clara and told her that he had followed David to a hotel with Gail and that the couple had gone up to the room. Sure. Well, they probably just wanted to chat, play board games. And this was the hotel that David and Clara were married in oh, 11 that's years right. before. Yeah. See, it's in this Houston. man, he is, I mean, he's begging to be just killed and murdered. <laughs> he's and, begging to be killed. I mean, he's almost asking for it. He just it, got right? some big huevos. Yeah, but they're they're slowing him down because. I don't know. He's. Well, Clara jumped in her car along with David's teenage daughter and raced to the hotel. She was going to confront them. Okay. If you are going to do something, Mm -hmm. not necessarily premeditated murder, Mm -hmm. but you want to do something, would you bring a kid? No. I don't know. Well, she was 16 at the time. Okay, whatever. Would you bring anyone else with you? I think she was bringing the daughter. To be like, look what you're doing. You're destroying our family. Look at your daughter is over here sobbing because you're destroying the only family unit that she knows. Yeah. Obviously, they're not going to think anything through. We've already we're already discussing. That's the yes. This is the abandonment betrayal killer. This is crime of passion. Clara confronted David and the mistress as they were getting off of the elevator. Clara attacked Gail tearing at her shirt and screaming, you witch, that's my husband. Why is it? Why is the shirt? Is it because of the big boobs? Yeah, she like tore she her wanted shirt to see open. Him. She wanted to see him. Well, I, I was, was. she should have just asked to take a picture so she could take that <sighs> to the plastic surgeon that she had already put down a down payment to yeah. get new boobies. Can yes. you do me a favor? Can you text a picture of your boobs <laughs> to this Plastic surgeon for me. Oh, geez. And here, once again, the woman is blaming the other other woman instead of going up and grabbing David by the sack. Testiculars. Right. And just twisting until he was coughing up blood. How dare you be sexy and attract my husband? (laughs) Jeez. And then she started yelling at everyone in the lobby about her husband's cheating ways. I'm sure David loved that. That helps so much in any situation. And then David actually physically pushed Clara by her forehead. He pushed her down onto the ground and then helped Gail up and then started walking Gail out to her car. So he chose. 
at that right. very moment. In front of everyone. In front of everybody, oh. in front of the daughter, he chose between those two women. So he just knocked her down figuratively and literally, yes. like just took her ego away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, get out of my way. I don't even know who you are. Just pushes you away. Come on, dear. Let's go. Yeah. Picks up his mistress. Yeah. Claire and the stepdaughter were escorted to her car by the hotel staff. Once she started her Mercedes, she noticed David standing with Gail by Gail's car and comforting her. Clara stepped on the gas and headed straight toward the couple. David noticed her car approaching and pushed Gail out of the way. David was struck by the sedan that was going at least 40 miles per hour, and he flew over 20 feet in the air, landing in the parking lot. And he was still alive and moaning in pain. But Clara wasn't done. She was far from done. She drove over a concrete median and aimed directly for David, running over him three more times, crushing his legs yeah. and his chest and his head. That's tough to survive. Yes. And he still was not fully deceased yet. He was still alive. She got out of her car and ran over to David's body and cradled his head in her arms. And she sobbed, see what you made me do. And David died, lost his life in died, her arms. Died in her arms. Died in her arms. Mm -hmm. His murderer's arms. Wow. I mean, David wasn't innocent in this whole thing. But no, no one I mean, deserves he, to die like that. He definitely played into her insecurities oh absolutely like to a t yeah whether he even realized it or not because i mean i would think if you realized you were playing into someone's insecurities you'd have to expect no good's gonna come from it yeah. right i mean yeah. something bad's gonna happen yeah they're gonna flip the hell out and she did so ever since clara had lost her father at a very early age she had always dreamed of having the perfect husband the perfect family and the perfect career so yeah. everything needed to fit in this perfect little box, right? Well, because she has to repair from the loss of her father. Yeah. And according to the book, not having a father left Clara prone to feeling abandoned, which ultimately made her vulnerable to committing murder under the right circumstances. Okay. Without a male figure, she overly romanticized what it would be like to have one. This loss sparked a hyperactive sensitivity and persistent fear of losing men, especially a man she chose to spend the rest of her life with and that she loved wholeheartedly. Yeah. She was 100% in love with David. Yeah. I mean, they did everything mm -hmm. and planned everything and built a business together. Yes. She sacrificed herself leading up to her dream of finding someone like him, and she found him. Yes. So, I mean, it was like the path was laid out perfectly for her. But it also seemed to give way to a narcissistic personality disorder that was used as a defense against feeling worthless, abandoned, and unlovable. That's sad. It wasn't and this like, isn't my own opinions, guys. This is coming from the book. Right. Just, no, yeah. just so everyone, FYI, I have no medical background. I have nothing that gives me any right to have my own opinion to say these things. So this is somebody who has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a degree to say these things. Yeah. They have the right to call themselves an expert. Absolutely. 
So we're passing on expert opinion, not our own opinion. But the crazy part to me is that it's sad because you think someone feels all that and it's not because they were purposely, say, abandoned by a parent. Right. Like stuff happens. This People was an accident. And, and, I her, mean, th- her dad died, not on purpose. This was an accident. Think about all the world wars. How many children, not, not even adults, just children were essentially abandoned like this Yeah, through no fault, no, no one's fault. No it one's just fault. happened. And then the repercussions of it. And it just trickles down from generation to generation. Yeah. 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 For all different reasons, not, not just war, but, right. but all kinds of reasons. Right. Clara believed that her happiness lied with David, making her feel fulfilled and complete. And I believe safe. She wanted to feel safe. Of course. Clara also suffered from over-dependency, making her love of David filled with insecurity and possessiveness. He had become a possession of Clara's. Wow. Abnormally jealous lovers tend to be always anxious when their partners are not present. They worry constantly about what their partners are doing if they are not in sight. They give their partners the third degree all the time, and this can lead to one's partner feeling smothered. Mm. That makes me feel smothered just reading that out out loud. So you think me putting in all the video cameras was... A tad excessive? It was too much? Yes. I'll take the ones out of the bathroom. Okay. Okay. He's joking. We do not have cameras all over the inside of our house. (laughs) So That makes me highly uncomfortable. Do you think, I'm not trying to interrupt what you're reading here, but do you think there's ever a point where they could be happy having, say, her be that dependent and that clingy? David and Clara were very similar. And so it was almost like these two were looking in a mirror at each other. They were both driven, always wanted everything to seem perfect. They very much mirrored each other. But then when Clara started getting more possessive over David and especially over the business, she started trying to take over the business. It was really a turnoff to him. That's what I mean. Like, it seems to me that no matter what, this was going to end in failure. Yes. And I think they mentioned that in the book, too. This marriage, this specific marriage was not destined for a lifetime. Yeah, because even if she didn't run him over and... She said, all right, all those things you found in other women, I promise I'm going to be, I'm going to do that, right? I'm going right. to physically be like that. I'm going to do whatever you want to do and then you'll be happy. So therefore you'll stay with me. Therefore I'll be happy and feel safe. But yes. the very fact that she's like that turns him off. So no matter what she does, it's just, it, there's no way he's already separated. To me, it almost seemed like she was going to play a game. How much can I do to win David back? Yeah. And then once she won him back, would she have kept that up? Or would she have said, oh, no, you're back. So we're done. We're fine. Do you think she's capable of divorcing him? No, because that would admit failure. So then how could it end? In murder. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen this end in divorce. Right. But, you know, that's just me. There's no shortage of uh, divorce attorneys. Catching David with another partner left Clara feeling worthless and abandoned, also humiliated. He humiliated her. Oh, yeah. He had chosen someone else over her. 
What Clara Harris did was not premeditated. She did not mean to kill David. She loved David. She was obsessed with him. He was everything to her. But David had betrayed her, and Clara just wanted the source of her pain to go away in that brief moment. According to Clara, she had only driven over David once and that it was an accident, but the jury didn't buy it. Plus, they had footage, and the car just kept going round and round and round. Yep. Thump. Yes. Thump. So maybe she blacked out. Who knows? Clara was sentenced to 20 years in prison, the maximum sentence allowed by the jury's sudden passion finding, which this is the only case I've done where there's been a sudden passion finding. Yeah, you don't hear about that very often. Clara was granted parole in November of 2017 and released in May of 2018. So she's out and about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we have one more example of the betrayal abandonment killer. And this is one that you all love. And I'm sure you can guess. This is the case of Dan and Betty Broderick. Of course it is. (laughs) Everybody's favorite. The only thing missing from this case is the train. For for the train wreck. Because it is, it's pretty wild. We covered the Broderick's in episodes 38 and 39. Yeah, it's, it's such an intense case. We had to split it up into two sections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the movie version of it is pretty long. Oh, it took like seven episodes yeah. for that fake version of yeah, it <laughs> was, the Broderick. They, they, they inserted, <laughs> there was a lot inserted and stuff. But, oh, but yeah, it was, uh, it's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear about the Brodericks, go back and listen to those episodes. The difference between these two cases is that Clara acted very swiftly upon learning of David's affair and the leaving of their marriage. But Betty let her emotions simmer for years before and after their divorce. But the Broderick case didn't just have Betty killing her ex-husband, Dan. She also murdered his wife, Linda Kilkenna. Yeah. We had two victims in this case. Yeah. So I guess that was my thing with the Clara Harris is if she didn't take that opportunity to run him over, how does this play out? And I think it would have played out similar to the Brodericks. Oh, okay. You see what I'm, right, see what I'm saying? Right. Like, if she, she hadn't have acted on that specifically at that time, correct. it could have continued to simmer and she still would have killed him. Right, because all and maybe it, taking Gail with all him. it would have taken is David and Gail had actually gotten into Gail's car. It wouldn't have happened. Just happened to be right place at the wrong time, wrong right time, whatever you want to call it. Whereas with the Brodericks, she never had one of those opportunities and snapped and took it. She just stewed and stewed mm-hmm. and stewed and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and they got divorced and it got worse and worse. Whereas right. the Harrises, she just took the first opportunity, funk, run him over. Well, I know I'm going to talk about this, but Clara Harris was diagnosed as a narcissist. Betty Broderick was also semi-diagnosed as a narcissist and she has borderline personality disorder. Yes. But they also believe that Dan Broderick was a narcissist and a histrionic. A histrionic, if you don't know, is somebody who has grand illusions of themselves. They are the best person at everything they do. 
They are the most talented. They have a very skewed thinking of themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're also dealing with mental disorders. So you have possibly multiple mental disorders clashing with another person's possible mental disorders. Yes. And Mm -hmm. it's just doomed. Yes. Now, I do agree with the book. When they called the Broderick case the most over-publicized and discussed case of betrayal and abandonment. You cannot talk about abandonment and betrayal without mentioning the Brodericks. You just can't. Because this case was huge for so long. It's still huge. Well, it helped in that they already were very somewhat public because he was one of the number one lawyers In San Diego. Mm -hmm. So it, of course, got the airtime. Right. What people need to remember about this particular case is that the television versions are other people's narratives. It is not necessarily the reality of what happened. I just want to throw that out there again. I read four different books on this case, including Betty's autobiography, and each retelling of the events is vastly different. There are three people who know what happened, and two of them are dead. Yeah. Dan and Betty married in April of 1969 in a big Catholic wedding, soon after Betty had finished college and was in med- and Dan was in medical school. So Betty wanted to finish school and then get married, but Dan was still in medical school. Yeah. And this all happened on the East Coast. After receiving his MD, Dan decided it was a good idea to go to law school. <laughs> Harvard Law School, to be exact. Why not? He decided he didn't want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a lawyer. But Dan's father paid for him to go to medical school and refused to pay for him to go to law school. So Betty worked lots of odd jobs to put Dan through law school, Harvard Law School, while she was also caring for the couple's two children who came quickly after the Brodericks were married because they were Catholic and did not believe in birth control. Mm -hmm. It's it's tough to prevent that in that situation. So she worked her butt off to make Dan's dream of becoming a lawyer reality, okay? That's crazy. Because she was going to follow her man. Like she was going to build him up into what he wanted to be And then she would get the fruits of the labor eventually. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. If she helped him become, then she would also become. Yes. In 1973, the Brodericks moved to L.A. And Dan soon landed a junior partner job at a large San Diego firm. The Brodericks and their now three children moved into an upper middle class home in La Jolla, California. Not La Jolla. This is La Jolla. La Jolla. In 1979, Dan opened his own firm specializing in medical malpractice. By this time, the couple had four children. Betty was a stay-at-home mom and devoted her life not only to her children, but also to seeing that all of Dan's dreams for himself came true. It's a lot of work. To other people in their social circles, the Brodericks seemed to have the picture-perfect life with the idyllic marriage. But according to Betty, Dan was very cold and distant, choosing to work late or go out with his colleagues after work. Dan was a big pub guy. He loved a good pub. Who doesn't? I know, right? 
Man. So he would go hang out at the pubs. Wish we had time work. to go hang out at pubs. I know. Do we have pubs? Do we have pubs in this town? I don't know. No, no not, not officially. Not like that, right? No. Yeah. When people talk about the woman behind the man, this was the Broadricks. Yeah. Betty was the woman behind the successful man. Not to mention through her kind of blood, sweat, and tears, she helped him go to Harvard. Yes. I mean, there's tons of law schools out there. Of course, he had to pick one of the most expensive, most prestigious. Oh, and that was it. He could have gone to other law schools yeah. in the country, but he specifically had to go to Harvard. Yeah, just mm -hmm. so he could say, look at me. I went to Harvard. Yes. I'm know. a doctor. I'm an MD. And I'm a lawyer that went to Harvard. But wow. I could see that, though. Think about how you're advertising for your firm, your new law firm in San Diego. And you go, I am the best of everything. I am amazing because I'm not only an awesome lawyer that went to Harvard, I'm also an MD. So I know everything about everything. Come see me. Come see Dan. Dan the man. Right? I mean, it would be hard to argue with. I'd be like, man, that yeah. guy's full of himself. But hell yeah, I'm going to hire him because – yeah, he's going to see every angle because he's an MD and a um, ambulance chaser. Sorry. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, medical malpractice, essentially. But once Betty could not take Dan any further in his career or social status, he decided that he was not happy with her or his life any longer. Mm -hmm. In 1983, Dan began an affair with a secretary in his firm named Linda Kolkenna. She was blonde and beautiful and bubbly and a younger version of poor Betty. So this really spurred on the media attention with this case is because if you look side by side and you look at a picture of Betty when she was younger and you look at a picture of Linda, they look very similar. I remember that. Mm -hmm. You showed me. That was kind of crazy. Yeah. So Dan definitely had a type. And his first wife wasn't meeting that quota anymore. Right. So he found himself a better version. That's so he, the most wild thing about it. I me. can see. Here's the funny part. I can see where if I started any sort of a business, you know, where a secretary was needed. Mm -hmm. I can see where you'd be like, you know what? Why don't you leave the secretary hiring to me? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd, I'd come in to work and this poor woman that would be sitting there. You know who I would hire? Oh, my goodness. Who? My mom. Oh. Betty was immediately suspicious of Dan and Linda. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Betty. You well, should have been. Of <laughs> but course. Dan, but Dan refused to admit to any affair. He just kept telling Betty that she was crazy. Because what Betty, would he, you're crazy. What would he have to gain with telling her the truth? Well. There's nothing to gain. I think he knew what he was going to get when he told her the truth. Yeah. He's also a lawyer. Lawyers never, by training... You never admit anything. Doesn't matter. Okay. You're not. You're not supposed to. That, uh, yeah. Any lawyer okay. you talk to them, they go. Number one thing you should never do is open your mouth and say anything, <laughs> or admit to anything. No matter what. Yeah, you see them. There's. I mean, everyone knows. There's YouTube videos. You get pulled over by police for any reason at all. The worst thing you could say is actually anything at all. <laughs> yeah. There's a story that always goes along with this case that people like to bring up all the time. On Dan's 39th birthday, Betty went to his office to surprise him with lunch. She was going to take him to lunch. So she had champagne and flowers and 
balloons and everything, right? That was nice. She got all dressed up. She was looking like fine little Betty, right? Sure. She gets there and Dan's gone. Oh, boy. And his office is already decorated for a birthday party. And there's two champagne glasses on his desk and two pieces of cake missing. Guess who else was missing? Linda Kolkenna. She took Dan out to lunch for his birthday. At that moment, Betty knew. She Uh knew that she was not crazy, that something was going on with these two. So she leaves. She takes all of Dan's most expensive shoes, suits, ties, all the silk stuff that he had to buy. She puts it out in the backyard, lights that thing on fire. Of course she does. Dan comes home late. Betty's outside, still putting gas on that fire. She doesn't want anything left. He still does not admit to the affair. He keeps telling Betty that she's crazy, that he would never do that to her. Because he's a lawyer. Well, yes, but that's making her even more crazy in her head. Because now she's feeling like, She's just seeing these things. What and if that's I just not really happening? What if I just burned his prized? And right. I don't know if this is true, but they implied that he really liked his finer things. Oh, this man wore a top hat <laughs> and a cape. A cape There's... with his tuxedo. Yeah, but he still chose to gaslight her. A lot of gas. A lot of gas. And she lit it. But soon after this incident, Dan did finally admit to the affair with Linda and asked Betty for a divorce. There's so much that happens in this case, you guys. I cannot go into every single detail or this will be two hours long. If you want to hear everything, go listen to episode 38 and 39. There's so much that happened here. I just can't tell you yeah, <laughs> in this episode. Yes. Unable to accept the loss of her marriage and the life she worked so hard to build and the life that she deserved, Betty became more and more erratic. Betty also refused to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. She refused to grant Dan the divorce. Dan obtained a restraining order against Betty for vandalizing his home and leaving obscene messages on their answering machine, which just pissed her off even more. Once she realized that Dan and Linda had an answering machine, Betty would call that thing constantly and tell Dan exactly what she thought of him. And that actually became what gave him the upper hand when it came to the divorce. Of course, because he's like, you realize you're playing into the very thing a lawyer needs to make a case. Right. And so during the divorce, Dan was the victim and it was Betty who was the bad one. She was the crazy one. The crazy ex-wife. If I were sitting on some sort of a jury, even though I'm like, man, he's a dick. He he did this to her. After hearing everything she was doing, I'd be like, yeah, I'm granting him full custody of the children. Funny you said that. Dan was even granted sole custody of the four children. Oh, yeah, of course. But only after Betty had dropped each one of them off at his doorstep on different occasions. It's not easy being a mother. It's not. And being a single mother, no matter how much money somebody throws at you, it's not easy. Dan was not holding up to his end of the father bargain. No, of course not. So Betty thought at the time that it was a good idea to show him how hard she was working trying to be a single mother of these four kids. 
So on different occasions, she would drop the kids off. And she was more doing it like, Dan, you figure it out. Here you go. Here's our kids. You figure it out. You see how hard it is for me to have these kids by myself. You know what Dan did? He threw money at the problem. He hired a nanny. He hired a housekeeper. He hired a cook. Sure. He sent the kids off to really expensive summer camps. So Betty couldn't make her point because Dan had all the money. And she ended up losing the children because of that. Yeah, he always was one step ahead of her. Oh, God, he was. But that's because she was playing this kind of crazy lady in a way. She was playing the role that he had given her. Yeah. Now, Dan, standing within the legal community and his knowledge of the court system, he was able to make sure that Betty was thwarted at every turn, which added to Betty's anger. Well, no one, I believe, right, no one wanted to take her as a client. Right. It was very hard for her to get representation because nobody wanted to go up against Dan Broderick or his attorney. He had a very right. good attorney. That's right. As the, well. the attorney had an attorney. So yes. it's like, dude, yeah. she didn't stand a chance. No. And like I said before, guys, there's so much to this case and all the legal stuff that happened that I go into. So yeah. go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that. But Betty also started breaking into Dan's home. At one time, she even destroyed all the Christmas presents that were under the tree, especially the ones that said Linda on them. <laughs> and then at one point, she drove her big old SUV into Dan's front door of his new home. Yeah, see, at that point, cops are going to not take your side. Well, <laughs> he called and then he was like, oh, I'm Daniel Broderick, MD. And he had her placed in a... Oh, that's right. Mental, a mental, what is it called? Like a... Um, a psychiatric unit of a yes, hospital. He, he had her admitted. He had her admitted. And he was like, I'm Daniel Broderick, MD, <laughs> when the police came. And they're like, oh, well, God, okay. this guy. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. 1989, with a divorce final, Dan married his mistress. Betty's youngest children were still living with Dan. And after losing every court proceeding... Betty snapped. As she if, did. She as snapped. if all the prior stuff wasn't right. snapping enough. Right. Betty had purchased a gun a few months before. Go listen again to the podcast. No. On November 5th, 1989, Betty used a key that she had stolen from her daughter and before dawn used it to gain entrance into Dan and Linda's home, walked up the stairs to their bedroom, and with her recently purchased 38 revolver, shot both of them while they slept, pulling the bedroom phone out of the wall as she left so that just in case they couldn't call 911. In case I survived. In October of 1991, Betty was convicted on two counts of second-degree murder. She was sentenced to 32 years to life. She was up for parole in 2011, and she still won't admit that what she did was wrong. So they did not grant her parole. Yeah, she's not been out. No, but it's coming. Betty's going to get out soon. I have a feeling. One of these days, she's going to be like, okay, fine. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. It was wrong of me. Can I leave now? Well, Betty murdered Dan because he rejected her. After everything that she did for him, he still betrayed her and then abandoned her. Yeah. This was the man that she pledged to love, honor, and cherish before God and their families. 
This was very important to Betty. She made a commitment to Dan, especially before God, in a church. And she was going to honor that commitment. And she could not understand how Dan could not keep his commitment to her. She could not understand that. I don't even think she still understands that. she held up her end of the bargain. And he did not. And he did not. Betty was there to support Dan's rise to success, believing that she would share eventually in his success. Yeah. That they would get to that life that he had promised her before they were even married. Yeah. Now, even though Dan was the victim, he was not innocent in all of this. He wasn't. Dan had narcissistic qualities, and narcissism and infidelity are often linked. Yeah, I could see that. Narcissists tend to have a grandiose sense of themselves. They want to be recognized as special, important, and unique, and thrive on constant praise and admiration, which is actually what Betty did. Betty stroked Dan's ego on a regular basis. But it wasn't enough just for her to do it. He had to get it elsewhere. Right. As soon as Betty did not meet his needs or was not a reflection of who he wanted to be, she was dismissed. Yeah. But also Betty had narcissistic tendencies as well, along with a borderline personality disorder. Everything was heightened. Sure. Betty was always in a heightened state, whatever happened. Now, in the book, they refer to Betty as actually a stalker, that Betty turned into a stalker, a stalker due to unrequited love. She wanted Dan back. Now, when women stalk, they tend to do so in an attempt to achieve intimacy. She wanted that intimate partner back again. Right, right. Now, Betty is also known as an obsessed, estranged lover, which is the most dangerous types of stalkers. They often display a propensity for violence. These personalities, like Betty's, experience a sense of fusion with their lover, along with a sense of urgency. They idolize their lover and feel insecure outside of the relationship. They tend to be relationally incompetent. Wowzers. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about it and you think about this case, it very much makes sense. Betty's identity and self-esteem were dependent on Dan being married to her. So Dan held all the cards. She, She built her entire life being Dan's wife. That's her identity is I am Dan Broderick's wife. Yes. And that's what she would say. I'm Betty, Dan Broderick's wife. Yeah. Bets. Bets. He called her Bets. Yes. (laughs) If Dan had not left her, then she would not have had to reason with him in this unconventional and inconvenient way. If only he would have admitted how important she was to him and his success. But Dan would never give Betty that validation. He just tried to throw money at her. So he never said thank you. Thank you, Betty, for everything that you did to get me to where I am. I'm really sorry it had to end this way. He never gave her that satisfaction. So he was so egotistical yes. that he he was telling himself he did this all by himself. Yes. It's all about him. He's because so, he's so smart. Yeah. And he's so selfish and self-centered too. Right. And egotistical and narcissistic and all those things because 
It's all about him. And that's what she kept saying. And it, especially in her biography that I read, she kept saying, I just wanted him to tell me thank you. Mm-hmm. I just wanted him to give me that validation that everything that I did for him was appreciated. Yeah. And he never would do that for her. Had he, he just come up and said, hey, Bets, <laughs> I could never have done this without you. I love you. I'll always love you. I'll always love you. I'll never leave you. Right. Because we also have to remember that Betty also dated as well. Betty had a boyfriend. That's right. Betty had a boyfriend when she shot Dan and Linda, a very nice boyfriend. So she had moved on. It was just if he would have given her that one thing that she wanted, this might have not turned so violent. She just needed the validation on her own. Even though it was over between them, Mm -hmm. she needed to not feel worthless. And so by him refusing to validate that she did create something, she did make something, and it's him, even though she's no longer with him, she still feels like she had an accomplishment in life in that, look what I helped make. Look what I helped build. I built this thing called a Dan Broderick. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It's also crazy that she found some guy who's wanting to be with this crazy loon. <laughs> right? You mean her boyfriend? Yeah. Who he the really hell? liked I, her. Man, I can't believe she didn't have the marks all over her from the 10-foot poles. Uh, I mean. What? Holy crap. No. He was younger than her, and he really enjoyed her, and he liked the kids. He was a good boyfriend for her. She should not. She should have just not, ran away with him. She's crazy, though, at this uh, point. Okay. And so, I mean, you know, they're with each other, and and she's obviously okay, preoccupied but, with. Okay, let me finish this, though. Okay? okay. Betty loved Dan to death. He was hers. And if he could not keep his promise in life to love, honor, and cherish Betty till death do them part then he could keep his promise in death. Only then could Betty move on. She could not move on with her life unless Dan was gone. Because he wasn't going to give her the satisfaction of saying thank you. So now he needed to be gone. Yeah. This book makes an interesting statement that it is believed that Betty is far more intact and happier now that Dan is out of her life. Gone are the feelings of rejection. Once she killed Dan, she was back to her old self. Interesting. Mm -hmm. After we did this particular episode, I think there were only two people who openly discussed their disappointment of our assessment of Betty, which I understand. Okay, that's fair. That she, too, was a victim of Dan's. Of course she was. But she was also a victim of the legal system. 100%. Yeah. Dan knew his way around a courtroom. And if he didn't, He sure as hell had friends who did. Yeah. So, yes, Betty was a victim. And Dan was a dick. Dan was a bad husband. Dan left her for a younger and thinner version. Dan gaslighted Betty on a regular basis. No one is saying that he didn't do all of those things. Okay. But Betty was the one who bought the gun and had the gun in her hand. Betty is also the one who didn't just shoot her jerk of an ex-husband. She also shot and killed his new wife, who I'm sure wasn't the greatest either. Linda wasn't the greatest person either. But does anybody really deserve to be murdered because they're jerk-offs? No. 
No, absolutely. My lack of compassion for Betty Broderick actually stems from a feeling of disappointment. And I'm going to explain this to everybody. Okay. To me, Betty was smart. Betty was very smart. She did a majority of Dan's schoolwork when he was studying to become a lawyer. Oh, that's right. Betty could have done anything she put her mind to. Absolutely anything. She did not need a man dictating her life. She never did. My alternate reality version of this case would have seen Betty go to law school on Dan's dime. Yeah. And she rised the ranks and turned herself into the best damn lawyer and take Dan to the mat in a courtroom every single time. That would have been an interesting way to get back at him. Which for sure. she definitely could have done this. Yeah. She was that brilliant. Yeah. But she wasted so much energy on her hatred of Dan and Linda that she missed a golden opportunity to get back at him yeah. the best way she could have. And that was to become a better lawyer than him and yeah. to make more money than him. But not everyone will agree with me because a lot of people tend to go by what they've seen in television versions of this story. But I'm telling you, that is not reality. That is not no. actually what happened. And nobody really knows what happened except for Betty. I'm one of those people that I feel like she served her time. And you can agree with me or not agree with me. But I think it's time for Betty to come out. Mm-hmm. It's time for her to get back to her life. And Dan was not the hero of this at all. <laughs> Betty was not the hero. And once again, we had four children that grew up without a mom and grew up without yeah. a dad. And they're ready to let her out, I th- right? That's I think what we've so. alluded to. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think it's because usually they want to keep you in because you're a danger. You present a danger to society. Right. Well, she doesn't present a danger to anyone but Dan and Linda. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's what they said in the book. They said the only person that she that is in danger of Betty Broderick was Dan Broderick. And he's gone. Yeah. So there's no reason for her to remain Other in prison. Other than to prove a point. And be like, look, lady, can you just please admit you were wrong and you shouldn't have done it and you're sorry? And she's like, nope, it's his fault. Like, okay, you're really stubborn. So that brings us to the conclusion of the betrayal abandonment killer. That's kind of exciting, right? Personalities are fascinating. Mm -hmm. What makes people tick and why? It's fascinating to me. It always has been, even before we started doing this, like. Why are people the way they are? Why am I the way I am? Why are you the way you are, right? Well, I blame my parents for why I am the way that I am. Well, that's kind of gets old. It does, we doesn't it? We can't blame our parents. You know what we can do now is go, oh, crap. Our kids are going to blame us for things we're literally doing right now as we speak sitting in here. I hope so. <laughs> you hope so? <laughs> what do you think was the main problem growing up? Well, we were doing really good until my parents got this wild harebrained idea (laughs) to have a podcast (laughs) about people killing each other we hardly see them anymore so we feel abandoned and that's why i'm doing these weird things we will continue this series for the next 10 months and the next month so february is going to be the control killer oh i'm pretty excited about this one and it'll kind of be the same format we're not going to do factoids 
but we will just kind of dive into it and share the cases that they use as examples. Not every example is a case that I've done, which is kind of exciting, but this should be interesting. Hopefully it's interesting to you because it's really interesting to me and I believe Daniel, right? Oh yeah, this is very interesting to me. If you read ahead, meaning you go, hey, I'm interested what the control personality means and Mm -hmm. you read ahead and then we come out and do it, then you can scream at us and tell us we're completely wrong (laughs) or give your opinion and then uh, we can go from there. So opinions are fun as long as they're done nicely. Don't tell us we're idiots. Yeah, just, just remember. Tell us you have a different opinion than us. Yeah, just remember opinions are like assholes. Buttholes. Everyone has one and most of them stink. Boom. If you are enjoying what you're hearing and you want more from the MacArthur's, go check out our Patreon. Yep. I think we have 15, 17 episodes, Something extra like episodes, that. extra content. Y'all like content. A lot of content. Mm-hmm. She's getting over her horrible voice. It's really annoying. And I cannot, I'm so Stop. frustrated that she went and got the vid. <laughs> I am no longer a walking specimen, a walking COVID She's specimen. no longer pregnant on the little pea stick. Yes. So that's good. But I do have the voice and the cough that's just kind of hanging around. Yeah. But she's, thank she's... you guys so much for all of your kind words and all of your prayers. Oh my gosh, there were so many people praying for my recovery and that was just yeah. amazing. I love getting those messages and just your kind words and your nice thoughts. And we just feel really blessed to be creating this community and it's something that we were hoping for and didn't necessarily think we were going to get, but it's happening and we're just so excited. We are excited. You can find us at social media. We are only on Instagram and it's Till Death Do Us Part podcast. Yeah. If you guys get time, please go rate and review us on Spotify, Apple podcast. Apple's real big. Apple has a monopoly. So <laughs> that helps a lot. It helps steer people. And um, social media. Really podcasts do well by word of mouth. Yeah. So if you could let people know about us, shout us out on Instagram. And, you know, we'll kind of say thank you and we'll post you on our Instagram. Yeah. And then we're working on getting onto MySpace. So we should be able to do that soon. You guys can join us there too. Yeah. For some reason, I can't seem to find MySpace when I Google it. So I'll be working on that. Okay. Be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.